Mindfulness Mode 502. We're run by a program, a set of beliefs, values, and rules that are safety-based and subconscious, designed to protect us, but not necessarily for us to thrive and really limits our behavior. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. This is Bruce Langford. So glad that you've joined us here on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. Great to have you with us. And well, hey, do you ever need a website address? You can get them from one of my favorite places to get website addresses, and that's hover.com, H-O-V-E-R. It's a great spot because they can help you with their telephone support, and they can help you with their telephone support if you need any assistance at all. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash hover and you will get a discount on a website address. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview with Darren Gold. Mindful Tribe, we're going to be talking about leadership today, mindfulness and leadership and how they connect and how they dovetail into each other. I've got Darren Gold with me today. Darren, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm in mindfulness mode. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> That's great. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. This is fantastic. I'm going to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. Darren Gold is a managing partner at the Trium Group, where he advises and coaches CEOs and their leadership teams at many of the world's most innovative companies. And these include Warner Brothers, Dropbox, eBay, so many more. Now, as a former CEO, CEO and longtime board member, uh, Darren brings deep personal leadership experience to his work with organizations. And he has a BA from uh, UCLA and a JD from the University of Michigan. He's the author of a fantastic new book about leadership called Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of leading an extraordinary life. And as you can tell from the title, it's not just about leadership. It's about leading your life and about making it the best life you possibly can. So like I said, Darren, thanks for being on the show. It's really exciting. Let's start with this. What does mindfulness mean to you, Darren? Yeah. Mindfulness to me means self-awareness and self-awareness, not just of the mind, but of the body. And I see the mind and the body as sort of interconnected and not separate, but it's the ability in the present moment to be aware of what's going on with you in your mind and in your body. And then importantly, not just be aware of it, but it'd be in a position to be choiceful about how do you direct your mind and your body uh, and use that to your own benefit and the benefit of others. That, that to me is mindfulness. And you've really helped people understand that through your book. Now, I'm, I'm interested, what motivated you to, to write this book? Yeah, there's there sort of a couple things. The immediate catalyst was two and a half years ago, my oldest child, my son, was going to college. And I wrote him a letter, humbly was a sort of a guide to live, a living a good life. And I had sent it around to a few friends and a few clients. And before I knew it, there was sort of a few thousand people had read it. So I knew there was something in that letter that was really resonating for people. And I, I figured there was the seeds of a book in it. So that was the original sort of inspiration and catalyst. But I think more deeply, was a body of wisdom that I had been collecting and synthesizing and refining in my personal and professional life that I really felt compelled to share with the world. And we can talk about it as we you know, go on in the show, but there were a lot of things getting in the way of me 
uh, sharing that. And there was a, a lesson in and of itself and just sort of getting through some of those limitations. Darren, do you, did you ever come to a point in your life where you felt like you had not succeeded and you were just totally missing something? Yeah, I had what I think the leadership expert, the late leadership expert, Warren Bennis calls a crucible moment. And it was sort of my late 30s was a my first, I would call professional failure. And I share this in my book. It was a, it came at a time when I had thought I had sort of was at the pinnacle of my career, immense professional and financial success. And I was summarily fired without any warning and it really shook me to my core. And that moment was a moment for me to really wake up. And in, in many respects was a catalyst for me to begin my own inner journey of real kind of personal growth and transformation and really understanding myself and tackling this big question, which I tackle in the book, which is, you know, what makes human beings behave the way they do? I deal with that question a lot in the context of leadership, but it's of course a, a very broad question. And I've been on a decade plus journey to really address and answer that question. Darren, you have such a powerful way of telling that story. You know, it really moved me when I read that story in your book. Have you always been a phenomenal storyteller? Uh, No. (laughs) In fact, I've been reluctant to tell that story. And in part for a couple of reasons, and I'm sure your listeners can probably relate. One of the biggest reason was I didn't think my life story was that interesting. And I kept getting feedback from people that I deeply respect, mentors and colleagues that says, no, you really need to share your personal story for a number of reasons. And two, it was a story, given how volatile and crazy it was in my childhood, that I wanted to leave behind. And so unconsciously, I had sort of rejected and repressed a very important part of who I am and wasn't in the practice of sharing that until, um, until really when I got into leadership roles. And I began to understand the power of storytelling, the power of courageously sharing uh, who you are, the power of authenticity. And um, I've come to really embrace uh, who I am and my story and, and, and certainly do that in a pretty big way in the book. Darren, would you be willing to share a little bit of that story about who you were as a child and what happened to you right here? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, you know, I was born into a, uh, a pretty volatile family. Uh, my father, in, not to go too much into his history, but he, you know, he was a World War II baby, um, a Jewish boy growing up in London in a very anti-Semitic time and literally took to the streets at a very early age, uh, became a hustler and engaged in a life of, of crime. I was born into that context of um, two parents who were uneducated, criminal activity, some violent activity, not towards me, thankfully, uh, parents who spent some intermittent time in jail, alcohol abuse, drug addiction. And so it was this sort of very uncertain and volatile and uh, crazy world that I was exposed to very early on. What I had as a constant though, and it was sort of the silver lining on all of this was um, unconditional love from my father. He was a source of incredible strength and security for me and safety for me. Um, but all of that, and the reason why I, I'm, I share it in the book is because it helped shape um, what I talk about in the book is my program, the set of beliefs and values and rules about myself and others and how the world works. The most important one was I need to learn, get educated, and do everything I can to avoid the life that I've been living and so that I can provide a better life for 
for my family. And that was a part of my program that really drove me right. early on in my life. Right. And Darren, why do you think it is that you were able to pull yourself up and move forward where some other kids in that unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance may have been just dragged down and not been able to move forward? Yeah, I, I have to say a lot of it is luck as a child. Uh, you know, I think it's a lot to put on a child to make, you know, big decisions about how they shape their lives, right? It just happens automatically. One thing that I do talk about in the book that I really credit my father for was he instilled in me a belief system very, very early on that I could do anything and that I was special. Now, I'm not sure that was true, (laughs) but it was a belief that I took on because he um, was so insistent upon it and it helped shape my identity. Um, what I believed I was capable of doing. I went through life thinking I was capable of doing anything. I had no reason to believe that other than this adamant uh, declaration from my father. So I think amidst all of this uncertainty, my dad had some reservoir of wisdom that he drew on unknowingly, perhaps said the thing that's going to get my child, the boy that I love the most through all of this is this unconditional love and this belief that he's, he's capable of doing anything. And I think that was the one thing that really, really helped. And Darren, can you share with us, what was your first taste of success? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, my first taste of success, well, I got, I had a lot of academic success. So my earliest memories, and part of it was this belief system that I had to learn to get ahead, to lead a different life. So I, I committed to learning. I was a diligent student. I, was an avid reader. And so from my very earliest memories, I was sort of top of my class academically. Um, I became student body president uh, of my large LA public high school. Um, And that was a combination of also this other belief that I, uh, you know, that I adopted and I talk about in the book about the need to be liked uh, and how important that was to my own survival. And so I developed this sort of likability superpower. And that was sort of, I'd say the first sort of formal taste of success, like, wow, I've I've, I've accomplished something pretty big. Your story is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I just want to reiterate the, the title of your book, Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. And your website is darrenjgold.com, D-A-R-R-E-N, and then J, gold, G-O-L-D.com. So if you're listening right now and you're intrigued with Darren, which I certainly know I am, then check out his website and check out this book, Master Your Code, because it's all about how we can grab a hold to the control of our life, how we can choose and make the right decisions and and move forward in our life. Why are so many people feeling trapped these days in their own lives, Darren? Well, let's start with the world is crazy and yeah. it's complex and it's uncertain and it's it's that's not going to change, right? It's only that complexity is only going to increase and the pace of change is only getting faster. So there's nothing much we can do about controlling our environment. We live in a challenging world. The big reason why I think people get stuck and what I hear the word overwhelmed a lot with senior business leaders is that for most of us, and this was true for me for much of of my life, I didn't realize that I had the ability to choose the way I was making meaning of my environment. And I like to say that the human superpower is the ability to choose the meaning that we give to our circumstances. I was going through life sort of on autopilot. And in many ways, it was working. In many ways, it was limiting me. And I think the big 
breakthrough for me and the one that I, I share in the book is this notion that we're run by a program, a set of beliefs, values, and rules that are safety-based and subconscious, designed to protect us, but not necessarily for us to thrive and really limits our behavior. And then I contrast that with a code, which is this consciously constructed set of beliefs, values, and rules that's purposefully designed to lead an extraordinary life. When I realized that I get to choose every single belief because every, every belief is made up. And if it's made up, I can reconstruct it. I get to con- choose every single belief I hold about myself, about others, about my circumstances. A whole world opened up for me. And that's the, in my humble view, the secret to getting unstuck or unburdened in life is to see how much freedom and agency we have. Yeah, yeah. Now, wait, I think so many people (laughs) uh, feel so powerfully influenced by the media and politics Mm. and what's going on around them and social media. You know, it all seems to have such a powerful influence on it. How can we change that? Yeah, well, it starts with our relationship to our circumstances and a, a formal declaration. Uh, you know, it's the title of my fourth chapter, which is I'm 100% responsible for my life. And what it deals with is what relationship do I have to my circumstances? And I give, um, I give the readers a distinction. Uh, I say on the one hand, which I call a victim mindset, I can choose to see my circumstances as happening to me, where I have very little control in shaping those circumstances. Or I can choose to believe that I'm 100% responsible, that I shape my circumstances, that there's always something I can do to affect my situation. Both beliefs are true. The real question is which belief better serves you? And I say 100% of the time, the belief that I'm 100% responsible always serves me. So it begins with an examination of like, how do I relate to my circumstances? Am Am I in a victim mindset? Which is an easy place to be because I get to avoid responsibility. Um, or do I have the courage to declare, no, wait a second, I shape my circumstances. And in that orientation, true or untrue, the amount of action I have available to me and the sense of power and effectiveness I have massively expands. And so that's a fundamental shift because, you know, there, there, it, you know, there media and culture and our politics and the divisiveness in our world, if you allow it to, can be overwhelming. If you decide, wait a second, I'm not going to allow it, I'm going to take control of it um, and just declare that um, a lot, a lot can change. It really can. Yeah. (laughs) And, and as I read through your book, it just made me feel empowered, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sure that's probably your goal, but let's say hypothetically, I'm a person who has very little resources, very little money. I feel pulled down by some of the people around me. I have a dead end job. What's my first step to pull myself together and move forward? The first step is, um, is the awareness that, hold on, wait a second, even in the most dire of circumstances. And and let me give you one very powerful story. I'm sure you're aware of it for your listeners that aren't, which is a man named Viktor Frankl, yes. who wrote a seminal book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he was a concentration camp prisoner uh, in Auschwitz uh, in World War II. Um, he realized in that moment that despite the most unimaginable circumstances, right, it, it doesn't get much worse than that, right? He had the power and the responsibility to choose his attitude. And he chose to be positive and to thrive. And as a consequence, he survived and then gave an enormous gift to the world. So I think 
part of it is to understand that we have this choice to look for sources of inspiration. And they're all around us. If you look at the great political figures of our time, right, the Gandhis, the MLKs, Jesus, these were all people that faced enormous uh, oppressive situations and found the strength of character to know that what they, one thing they could control is their own mind. And I've met countless people who have been in the situation you've just described that had come to that realization that is, wait a second, there's one thing that I can control, one thing no one can take away from me. And that's the power to choose my beliefs and to control my mind. And if I start there, magic happens. And it's not easy. It's not a, it's not a guaranteed path, um, but it's certainly a way to move yourself forward and, and, uh, and, and do the things that you want to do in life, regardless of your circumstance. You talk about forgiveness in your book. Why is this yeah. such an important thing for us to confront? It's a massive weight. So if you talk about what is it, you know, that we have to, you know, we have everything we need, right? And, and, I, and that's sort of an important point I want to make that the part of our journey is just to get the stuff out of the way so that our full potential can be, can materialize and be actualized. And one of the things that masks that or weighs us down is our very common tendency to hold grudges and to blame, um, even when we have uh, a right to do so, when we've been really wrong. So I don't want to suggest that we just forgive and forget and allow people to mistreat us. That's not the point. But um, we've all had instances in our lives where people have wronged us uh, in an objective fashion, and we have a choice there. Do we choose to hold a grudge, um, to blame, to hate? Or do we choose to forgive unconditionally? And that doesn't mean we don't hold people to account for their wrongdoings, but the act of forgiveness is one of the most powerful acts you can do to unburden yourself and free yourself up. I share the story of you know, a, 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 gr a massive grudge that I held against my mother for almost 40 years. And it wasn't until her passing, after you know, a year or two after her passing, that I was, had the maturity and and courage to take on um, that and, and truly, I mean, really unconditionally forgive her and forgive her in, in a way where the word forgiveness no longer made sense to me. Um, and that all that was left in place was total compassion and love for a woman that did the very best she could uh, with her circumstances. And that very act was, you know, incredibly free. Can you expand on that a little bit, Darren? How can you forgive someone who is no longer with us? Yeah, well, um, you, you know, act of forgiveness is a very personal act, right? It doesn't require uh, anybody else. And uh, a lot of people that may be listening may have be in that situation where they said, wow, if I only had that loved one or that friend or that former colleague still around so that I could give them forgiveness, that's, a, that's an act that's really more about you. Um, and you can believe in you know, life after death or the connectedness of the universe, whatever your belief system is that can help that. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's an act of maturity and grace to, uh, even in, after somebody has passed, to sort of sit with that notion and say, if you're out there, if you can hear me, and even if you can't, um, I found a place where I can fully and completely forgive you um, and really embody that. And that will be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that brings up the topic of vulnerability, just being willing yeah. to be open and vulnerable. Tell us how we can do that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it requires some courage, right? I mean, yeah. this whole, um, 
body of wisdom around personal growth and, and self-mastery requires a lot of courage to explore the parts of the you that you don't really want to take a look at. Mm-hmm. And that requires the ability, you know, you know, being vulnerable. Um, the payoff is huge. And so like anything worthwhile, there, ha- there is always some cost. There's always some, something that you would rather not do. Um, I, I read in the introduction of the book, this book is not for the faint of heart or for the timid or for those who think they've got it all figured out. This is a book for those who have the courage and um, see the benefit of this inner journey. And so, you know, it, sometimes it takes people getting to a point in their life where there's a lot of pain and suffering for them to take it on. Others are more fortunate and have an inclination to just go there. Um, so I don't know if there's any sort of recipe for vulnerability other than the recognition that it's time for me in my life to sort of take myself on in a way that, in a good way, that I haven't done. And people will come to that place when they're meant to. Darren, I know you were popular in school and you did well academically, but did you ever bully anyone? Do you have a story about bullying? Maybe you were bullied by someone else. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, fortunately, never bullied anyone. And I say fortunately because I also recognize that people who bully do that out of a place of deep suffering and deep pain. That's the source of bullying, right. at least my understanding of it. And I know that's true. you're a real expert. So I have a lot of compassion, even for people who bully. I think it's important to note. I was, I would say, teased is probably the more accurate word, but you, know, you could call it bullying. When I moved from London, England at age eight, finally, and I had an English accent. I like to say it's really cool to have an English accent when you're 18 <laughs> in Southern California. <laughs> yes. Not very cool when you're eight years old. And I was teased mercilessly, you know, bullied uh, perhaps, you know, for uh, my accent. And so, um, you know, I didn't quite at that age have the concept of mindfulness, of course. But I, what happened in that moment, I think it's very instructive, is I had to do something in that moment to make myself safe. And for me, that was uh, this declaration, right? what I call a survival strategy, the need to be liked. I have to be liked no matter what. That was how I was going to be safe. And so number one, I got rid of the accent. And number two is I developed this skill for being likable. And that became a big part of my identity, a big part of my success. It also limited me. But hopefully that that sort of gets to some of, uh, of your question. Yes, it does. And, you know, this book, Master Your Code, I just think it's such an excellent book. And I'm just reminding you, Mindful Tribe, the name of the book, Master Your Code, and reminding you also to go to Darren's website, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-Gold.com and check out what Darren has there. And Darren, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, if that's okay. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Wow, that's a great question. I'll talk about the teacher, Byron Katie. Oh, yes. If you're familiar with Byron Katie and her work, and her work is called The Work. And it's an incredibly simple mechanism for addressing your beliefs and your thoughts. And she's been a very influential teacher in my life. My second question, how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Darren? Yeah, well, for me, and I write about this in the book, you know, I say, I, I, well, the title of chapter two is I act, I don't react. And I take on this myth that we're emotionally hardwired, that we just act automatically. And so for me, mindfulness has been a very important ingredient in being able to be 
self-regulated enough where I can choose how I act and respond rather than just react automatically. And that is um, everything for me uh, in my personal relationships, in my leadership, that ability to be in choice about my emotions. Um, I attribute a lot to, to mindfulness. So tell us how breathing is part of your mindful practice. Yeah. Thanks for that reminder. I need to take a breath. Uh, <laughs> breathing is so critical and physiology overall is such an important aspect of our self-mastery. We neglect this thing called the body and it has so much influence. I say the body sends one of two mis- unmistakable signals to the brain. We're either safe or we're in danger. And when you intentionally and consciously use your breath, your body is then sending a signal, you're safe. And when you're safe, the best parts of your brain go online. And so a simple, call it hack, physiological hack, mindfulness hack can be literally just remembering to breathe you know, deeply two or three times. That's a neurological reset that can be uh, really incredible, uh, particularly if you're in stressful or challenging circumstances. I want to ask you about a book that you might recommend. You've already mentioned uh, Viktor Frankl's book, which is mm. terrific. And I'll put that book in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Are there in, any other books you'd recommend, Darren? Yeah, specifically around mindfulness? Yes. I'll stick with Byron Katie. because uh, she's, she's top of mind right now. But her book, Loving What Is, is uh, terrific. Um, I always recommend the audiobook because she narrates it and she... Uh, does a number of interventions in the book so that you get to hear her work in her own voice. And it's a life-changing book for the people that I've recommended it to. They, they, that's the, what they've, they've described it as. Yeah. And I too would recommend that. Byron Katie yeah. is absolutely yeah. amazing. Can you share an app which can help with mindfulness? Yeah. I don't use one intentionally, but the Breathe app on Apple, if you're an Apple user, and I'm sure there are equivalents in, on other, other platforms, um, is an automatic reminder to do just what you just said, which is breathe. And you can set the frequency of the, remind, the reminder to whatever you want. But I find it to be very helpful when I become a little unconscious. Uh, it's just to get a little notification on my smartwatch or on my phone that says, hey, it's time to, to breathe. And it's just a really quick, easy, in the moment reset for me that, uh, that really helps. Well, thanks for answering those five questions. I've got a few other things that I want to talk to you about. And I want to ask you how being physical plays a role in your life. Yeah, it's so important because I think we're in the Western world, we're very cognitive and we're in the head a lot. Even the word mindful, you know, as wonderful as it is, right, connotes this up here, the brain. And I think in the spiritual sense, mind is much more. It's, it's, It's mind and body. And the body plays an important role in two very important respects. One is the one I just referred to is my breathing, my posture, my facial expression, smiling is very powerful, as well as diet, exercise, and sleep, right? Those are the foundations. They're going to stimulate signals in my body that are being sent to my brain that are going to tell me one of two things, right? Safe or at risk. And when I'm at risk, you know, the limbic system part of the brain is going to take over. That's the fight, flight, or freeze response center to be crude about it. And I'm not going to be at my best. If I'm safe, right, my prefrontal cortex goes online and I'm able to be creative and have self-regulated and have executive function, see more data, be in control of my emotions. And so we can intentionally use our body to optimize our behavior. And they're just simple things. Breathing was one of them. Smiling is nor- you know, incredible. I ask people when I'm in front of large groups to raise their hands in the air and smile 
and then think a negative thought, and it's impossible. Um, such is the power of physiology. The second thing, which I think is overlooked, is the importance of how our physiology affects the physiology and therefore the behavior of others. And I often ask leaders that I'm coaching, I said, when you walk into a room, do you raise or lower the anxiety in the room? And a lot of them sort of sheepishly admit, I think I raise the anxiety. Well, what do you think that does to the people in the room? They're going to co-regulate and mirror and mimic the leader. And so part of what we want to do as a leader is walk into a room, breathing consciously with an open posture, smiling. And what we're doing is we're going to force subconsciously the people that we're asking to follow us to mirror our physiology and we're going to optimize their performance. It's an incredible power that we don't tap into. Yeah. We haven't talked about meditation. Do you meditate? I do. I have a morning ritual and just the real plug for morning rituals. It doesn't have to be a morning. Daily rituals for me is the sign of an extraordinary person. I mean, the act of doing something every single day without fail is in and of itself the act of an extraordinary person. And I found that discipline of no matter what's going on in my life, I wake up 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes earlier than I otherwise would. And part of that ritual for me is a loving kindness meditation that I do. And it's a great way to begin my morning. And then I also, part of our firm, the Trium Group, when we do internal calls, our coaching team, we start with what we call a micro meditation, which is we take two to three minutes at the beginning of every hour long meet, you know, a conference call and somebody does a guided meditation. So we bring it into the, the professional world as well. Oh, that is fantastic. It really is. Well, you know, Mindful Tribe, if you're listening and you're thinking, yes, I'd love to just get a little bit more control happening in my life and to be a little happier and just feel like I'm reaching success, then reach for the book, Master Your Code by Darren Gold, because it is well worth reading. It's very, very well written. And your stories, Darren, are terrific and well-crafted. And it just really caused me to feel empowered as I read through your book. So thank you so much for writing this book and making it happen so that we can learn from you. Uh, It's a privilege and a pleasure, really. Thank you. Yeah. So go to your website, Mindful Tribe. Go to Darren's website. It's darrenjgold.com, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-Gold.com and check out what he has there. And yeah, it's been great having you on the show today. Uh, Is there any place else we should uh, visit or that we should learn about what you have to offer in the world? Yeah. Well, for those of you that are interested in how does this all get applied in the business context, right? And that's the work that I do professionally. My firm, the Trium Group is a great resource, T-R-I-U-M-G-R-O-U-P.com. And I check that out. And that's a way of bringing this into kind of a performance realm in the business world. And we, we, have, a, we have a great set of resources on that website. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Darren. Have a great rest of your day. Bruce, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. 
So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Oh, and a reminder of what I said at the top of the show about buying URLs, buying website addresses. Go to hover.com, H-O-V-E-R, and use this code. Well, it's just an address that will take you directly there so you can get $2 off your next purchase. Go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash hover. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.